not happened for an age. What's that? Tis a gathering. Hello and welcome to Enmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this, I believe, is episode 44 of the podcast. And what a glorious one it is too because I'm heading back to the battle for Unnumbered Tears, uh, which is probably the most regular podcast, uh, sorry, tournament I've ever been to. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've been to any others more times than this. I know I've been certainly been to uh, Sutton in Ashfield a number of times for the podcast. Uh, it's a regular tournament hosted by Ed Ball, um, who is a regular top table player uh, in the league, or oh, certainly was once upon a time. Now, he, he's certainly a, a fearsome competitor at the top tables. And uh, Owen Wright, Owen Wright, a lovely, lovely gentleman uh, and scholar of the game who has been uh, around the block a few times and back uh, as a TO and as a, a tournament player. Though I, I think it's fair to say he, he frequents the, the tournaments and the top tables a lot less than he used to uh, in the circuits around the, the country. But either way, uh, Owen, a real, real interesting guy uh, to talk to about the game um, and hopefully we'll grab him later on in the podcast because Ed now works for Games Workshop and apparently Games Workshop is not a fan of me talking to uh, their uh, players, but will hopefully not play uh, J. Claire, Ed Ball, and numerous other people who are uh, probably going to be there uh, throughout the course of the episode, because we are doing another tournament recap. Uh, That's the plan anyway. Uh, This is for a 797-point tournament. Why 797? I hear you cry. Well, it's because it's a prime number, and the tournament is honouring the Amazon Prime TV series, which is due in about a year's time. Very exciting. So, uh, I suppose we'll we'll stop dilly-dallying uh, because we've got armies to build. Yes, that's right. Although not for Mordor, well, sort of for Mordor, I'll be building an army of the East once more. Uh, if you've been following my last few podcasts, I've been building up uh, my force, or actually kind of chipping away at my force since uh, taking the Easterling army to Ardacon, uh, that big tournament in the north. Um, and essentially, I've been trying to finesse, trying to perfect uh, my army list, uh, which isn't easy because um, the tournaments keep changing points values. We started at Ardacon with 600 points. Uh, then I went to the Gates of Gondolin with 900 points. Now we're uh, kind of landing somewhere in the middle at 797 points. And actually, I think an 800-point list is roundabout where you want these things to be, uh, in my head anyway. Um I feel like you need enough to be able to get some of those heroes for the hitting power and for the might, to be honest, to get the might back um, from the blood and glory. Uh, but also you need to be able to take enough models. Um, so I feel like uh, maybe maybe 800 is about that kind of tipping point where you start being able to take enough models and heroes to make it really, really well and truly worth it. So with that in mind, um, I've been finessing this force um, and actually I ha- really have um, struggled to find the, the right balance between models and um, heroes in this list. And 
I, I'm not sure I've got it right, if I'm completely honest. But let's delve into it anyway. Um, I'm starting once again with Kamul the Easterling with a fell beast. Uh, he's leading three Easterling warriors with shield, three warriors with pike and shield, two warriors with bow, three black dragon warriors with pike and shield, and two dragon cult acolytes. So uh, Kamul has the fell beast. Uh, we've got a, a warband where you know you've got that pike block of uh, uh, sort of a nine deep pike block plus two bows and to acolytes for a bit of spice i know lots of people uh, still w- querying the acolytes are they the right choice i 100 percent think so I, I don't think i'd ever leave um leave uh, home without at least f- a couple of boxes worth to be honest um six six acolytes feels about right at this um points level um maybe maybe a bit less but not a lot less at 600 um and maybe a few more at uh, 900 to 1000 but 800 points i'd go with at least two boxes maybe even more uh, if depending on your hero choices but those throwing weapons the fight for uh, the, the even the jump test thing is actually really good so um Anyway, and, and even the not being knocked prone as well, that has potential, it has potential. Um, okay, let's carry on. We've got uh, Warband number two, so that was 13 Warriors, by the way. Warband number two, Amder, Lord of Blades on his armoured horse. He's he's just so good. He's got the blood and glory to get his might back. He's got the armoured horse. He's got the elven blade and the fight six. Uh, and yeah, he's he's... he's and he's a banner for himself as well and others for three inches and six inches if you kill the leader which has only happened once I believe uh, in the course of my games we'll see if it happens again uh, throughout the course of this tournament but um, leading he is leading three Eastling Warriors with shield two with pike and shield one with a bow and three Warriors with pike and shield and two acolytes so um, we've not got full uh, full sort of pike blocks we've only got a three across uh, and two behind them and then three black dragons so we kind of got one guy missing from that pipe block but it's pretty much there uh, i probably could have gone with a bow uh, sorry a pike and shield instead of the bow but um the 797 points thing actually made it really awkward i don't know why it, it doesn't logically it shouldn't make any difference um that you well obviously a little three points difference but somehow uh, i found myself agonizing over what to chip away from the 800 points uh, and it, as it turned out it turned out to be uh, one pike and shields worth and adding some bows in or something like that but anyway i've got some bows uh, and so another warband of 11 models there so you know we're getting to, getting up already we've got two uh, fullish warbands not fully full but yeah get in there then warband number three is an easterling dragon knight on an armored horse and a black dragon cataphract with a wardrum and that's it and i'll be honest this is the warband that that I struggled with most. I knew I wanted the cataphract with wardrum, um, and I knew so I was th- toyed with having him in the Amders warband, um, which would make sense. But then, and then I could have saved a couple of points because he didn't need to be a black dragon. And then, pff, I don't know. I just kept thinking, um, this list feels like it needs another hit big hitter so i I went with it and it's only a small warband and it at least it's a very mobile warband and you know if it gets deployed in the wrong place it can get out of dodge pretty quickly but 
We'll see what happens. Uh, finally, another smaller warband. Again, uh, maybe this is a big mistake, but we'll we'll find out over the course of the weekend. Um, an Eastling war priest, no horse, because uh, that model, despite being gorgeous, uh, is just impossible to find. Apparently, uh, then we've got with him a warrior with shield, a warrior with pike and shield, a warrior with banner pike and shield, a warrior a black dragon, sorry, with pike and shield, and two dragon cult acolytes for a half a warband of six models. So. <clears throat> Here, again, I just, honestly, I just couldn't decide what I needed. Um, War Priest or Dragon Knight. <sighs> the hissing power from the Dragon Knight is so good, and it's the, the third threat, which is which is great if there's a lot of magic about, you know, something gets mobilised, you know, uh, a Dragon Knight um, is a big hitter still if, you know, Amdo gets immobilised or whatever, uh, or the Dragon Knight gets immobilised because he's... You know, he's 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 easier to immobilize. Um and then the war priest, the the fury is a big thing. This is a, a good a blue on blue tournament, so um I, you know, there's a good chance I'm I'm facing evil stuff um and magic. So I, I, I kind of thought I kinda of need it. Um even even so I don't know, I'm trying to think of uh, the the Ringwraith Legion, things like that. I, I just don't know, and I just feel like Terror is going to be a, a pain in the ass. I know it was when I played um, Angmar before, um, and also the the Blade Wrath has come in pretty essential um, every single time I've played this. I mean, just having that guaranteed uh, extra, pl- well, basically usually a plus one to wound um, for Amda. You know, putting him up to fight six, uh, sorry, strength six from uh, strength four is just so good. So that's what I went with. Um, so a total, I've got 35 models, which is not terrible at 800 points. Um, I've got four heroes, so that's not bad. I've got, um, what is it, six, uh, six eight, eight mites. That's pretty good, plus blood and glory on both the Dragon Knight and Amder. I've got an actual banner. I did toy with dropping the actual banner and popping a couple of extra models in there, but I figured... I figured a banner you can easily protect with a pike um, block, and it's uh, a lot easier to have a banner somewhere than... I mean, I I just thought to... For the sake of, uh, what, an extra two models for a banner, I get the the whole spread of the field. You know, Amdo doesn't have to be tied into being a banner for the troops. Uh, He can go off and do what he wants, and um, the banner can stick with the pike block, that sort of thing. Um, uh, So there you go. So I've got 35 models. 17 uh, is the break point. Um, uh, I've got, what, only three bows, was it? I think three bows, um, plus the six throwing weapons. So it's not terrible. But have I got the tools? That's the question. I think maybe... I. I'm getting better with it, and I think I can take on sort of um, middling uh, tournament goers and sort of perhaps the slightly less refined lists and and hold my own. Um, I'm certainly not going to win all my matches, I, I wouldn't have thought, unless I get ex- extremely lucky um, or, or, or I'm on a particular, particularly good role, because this is a... a high-ranking tournament. This is one of the competitive tournaments um, in, in the league, so... I don't know. Um, I, I think I think I, I think I'm getting there, but we'll see. We'll see. What do you think to the list? Uh, Endmootpodcast at gmail dot com. And um, what would you improve? What would you change if we're knocking it down to seven hundred points? Let me know. Endmootpodcast at gmail dot com. So we'll head off on that ven- adventure in a few minutes' time. But first, it's time for riddles in the dark. 
That's right, it's the beloved part of the podcast in which I basically play a small clip from the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies and you tell me who speaks next and what they say. It's also an opportunity for me to delve into the inbox, the email inbox, the uh, entmootpodcast at gmail.com inbox to just see what you're all chatting about. So let's start uh, with your guesses and, of course, with your comments on the last couple of episodes. So uh, first, let's start with Nathan Talbot, I think a regular, regular here on the um, podcast. He says, uh, oh, I've just swiped across. How have I done that? There we go. He says, The new episode dropped slightly unexpectedly, but fortuitously for me to be able to listen right away while submitting my lists for Return of the Imp. Is that is that right? Has it been a whole month? Oh, crikey. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, over a month, it must have been. So, uh, brilliant. At 900 points of Easterlings, he says, does indeed seem to allow all of the toys. Interesting, you didn't add in some uh, chariots, given your love for them, but you've built a solid list. I can't believe I missed the previous Riddle in the Dark. I'd I'd have fallen into the Eowyn Witch King trap anyway. But this time, I'm straight in with a guess. My first, first thought was Gandalf arriving in Hobbiton due to the swish of a broom. But then I believe a Frodo giggle gave it away. It's probably the longest scene without any... Any proper dialogue. There's a bit of excitement over a massive pumpkin. Then, uh, then someone calls out to Rosie. It could be another tricksy one from you, as the next scripted part comes after Sam finally gets the girl and they get married. I believe at that point it must be Sam and Frodo talking about finishing the Red Book. If I'm wrong, I'll have to send you the invoice for the RSI treatments my thumbs now need after typing this. Well done on two wins out of three. I hope you can get to another event soon because missing day one could have cost you a podium place. Have a good one and see you at Imps from Nathan. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's, that is lengthy and it takes in lots of different bits. Uh, this was before my own tournament which I'd completely forgotten uh, I, I'd done in the last month. Um, I didn't do a, uh, a podcast for it just because uh, I did the first time I did a tournament, but there's just so many things to do when you've got um, so many more people playing in uh, tournaments than I had in the first one. I think in the first tournament I had about 25. This time I had uh, about 50, and before that it was 60-something. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> apologies for not sort of doing a podcast. Maybe maybe in the future I will do, uh, return to doing that, but not not this time. And I've just realised I haven't played you the riddle clip. So here is the riddle clip. Uh, we've got some sort of uh, hints there from uh, Nathan to give you a bit of an idea where it is. But he's not quite got the dialogue. Right, so who speaks next and uh, what do they say? Let's uh, carry on delving into the inbox. We've got uh, William Andrews. William um, says, uh, Riddle in the Dark, this episode, you nearly got me on my first... Oh, yes, I, I think um, uh, William is someone who got in touch just at the edge of um, of a previous tournament. Um, and I can't remember whether I've read it. Uh, maybe I did. Might have just marked it as unread for some reason. Uh, but either way, uh, William, thanks very much for getting in touch with the past time. I think I've already read your message out. Uh, yes. So let's carry on. Uh, uh, Ivo. Uh, I think it's Ivo. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, first off, uh, oh, oh, there's a how to pronounce. Oh, this is very exciting. I'm going to have to play this live for you. How to pronounce Ivo's name. That's what I'm guessing is Ivo. Here we go. Continue. Right. How do I, here we go. Let's record the audio. Evo. Ah, well, there you go. Let's try again. Evo. 
There you go, Evo. Right, okay, Evo. I did get it wrong. First off, thank you for your podcast. I really enjoy the format you've created for yourself, which is unique and makes it stand out amongst the myriad of um, other MESBG podcasts and channels out there. Thank you. Uh, I'm a long-time listener, but this is my first time responding to the riddle, which is kind of a shame, because when it concerns the Lord of Rings movies, I almost always instantly know the scene. Well, you've set yourself a high bar there. I'm pretty sure that the answer for this podcast riddle is... dot, dot, dot... You've got the correct answer. Uh, I'm not going to reveal it now, uh, but you have absolutely nailed it, and I believe you're the only person to do it. So uh, well done, Ivo. Uh, You're absolutely right. And you say, I really hope this is correct, as my previous statement will make me look rather silly if it isn't. Uh, Good luck moving house. I hate that. Looking forward to your next podcast. Yes, that's that's exactly why um, it's taken a while. Um, Mid-September, I was moving house. It was... Um, stressful, but that's all behind me now, so it's all very exciting. Excellent, let's move on. Darren Dickinson's been in touch. Once again, I'm certain I know the scene from this episode's riddle. It's when the hobbits are riding their ponies back through the Shire, just after the crowning of Aragorn, and the old hobbit is giving them a suspicious look while sleeping, uh, sweeping outside. Yes, Mr Proudfoot, uh, Proudfeets. Um, however, I can't be as confident about who speaks next, especially after my spectacular failure last time. Yes, if you may remember the last episode, Darren got in touch with uh, just dripping in confidence um, from uh, his his guest for the riddle and spectacularly got it wrong. Um, so I guess a little uh, caution here from Darren. Uh, he says, there's some mumbling from the pub from other hobbits, something about the giant pumpkin. So I'm not 100% sure. After that, there's Sam approaching Rosie and them getting married while no one actually speaks for a few minutes. So I think that possibly it might just be Frodo a few scenes later with how do you pick up the threads of an old life? But again, I could very well be wrong. Cheers, Darren. Thanks for getting in touch, Darren. And yeah, you're you're very well wrong. Although you did get the scene. Um, Adam Sirens has been in. He says... Hi, Harry. After your tournament getting back home, I empathised heavily with Frodo's words in your riddle. And what a tournament it was. Hmm, Frodo's words in your riddle. I can't remember. What could it be? He says, And what a tournament it was. Totally agree with Geordie regarding Kamul. In my Mordor list, I like a budget wraith to support with Kamul on Felbeast, and it works superbly. That's interesting, Adam. I I might have to consider throwing Kamul into a Mordor list at some point just to see how it works. I had toyed at one point with uh, Kamul allied in... Um, allying in some pikes, basically just a load of Easterlings with pikes and um, some Mordor, uh, Moran and Urukai. Um but I just can't justify it really, I don't think it's worth I just don't think it's worth it if I'm honest, um, but we'll see um, because you might as well then just go with spears or something from Orcs. Anyway, um He says, on Monday morning, bleary-eyed, I almost said to myself, how do you pick up the threads of an old life? And this is after uh, Adam made quite a trek across Europe, uh, Spain, I think it is, um, to make it to my tournament in Lincoln. So amazing. Thank you so much for doing that, Adam. Um, He says, not quite taking the ring to Mordor, but seven wonderful games against uh, both great people and skillful players makes us keep hooked to this game. Already looking forward to the next one. Thanks again, Adam. So your guess was Frodo. How do you pick up the threads of an old life? Interesting, but not not correct. Uh, and then we do have a, another message. Um, and now this is from uh, someone who said they'd prefer uh, to remain anonymous. And um, essentially, I'm going to sort of summarise this. Um, they they're asking about: Is it possible to create a typical 
game of uh, SPG, i.e. build two uh, lists to appropriate point levels and specify a scenario and the other relevant factors. For example, a hypothetical game you could point to and say, this is what a game of SPG looks like. Not in terms of re recreating stories or books from the movies, but from a gameplay perspective. Things uh, I may consider are magic, um, what if anything should it do, troops, should there be one or two d6 spear shield, shield walls with spear sport for example, shooting, what kind of, uh, uh, what should the role of bows be, cavalry, heroes, should all heroes be in risk of being killed, etc, etc. I hope this makes sense, and, and it's an interesting one. <clears throat> So uh, this is from a newer player, um, and I kind of get what you're getting at. I think, I suppose you probably want to hear or see something that resembles, uh, you know, something that can show you what the whole game does. And it's hard to say that there's a, I don't think recreating that or sort of trying to, um, trying to uh, create like a laboratory version of uh, of a SBG game is really possible, and nor I think is it advantageous to someone starting the game because uh, what I like about the game is that it can be so many different things. Um, you can, for example, play a game where there's very few models. You know, fellowship against <clears throat> the the nine, for example. Or you can have the Goblin uh, Goblin Town list of 80 models against, uh, you know, a, a Hobbit list of around 80 models. So um, I don't think there is a typical game of SBG. I, I guess if you're, if you're looking for the average somewhere in the middle, you're probably thinking a, a 650 or 700 point game of 30-something models each side, uh, you know, a good side with a higher courage, evil side with lower courage, lower fight value, but perhaps fewer models on the good side than the evil, uh, or maybe, and maybe slightly better heroes on the good side than the evil, but <clears throat> I don't know, yeah, maybe you'd have a cast, I, but there is so much variety, so I mean, it's an interesting point, and it's an interesting discussion to to have, um, I'm, I'm not sure whether here's the right place for it, or, or, or it might be the sort of thing that you'd be better off finding um, by just watching um, YouTube battle reports, like, for example, ones by Conquest Creation. Um, they're more competitive battle reports, but they are do give you an idea of um, of the sorts of averages, I suppose. And I've got a big battle report coming up soon as well, which is uh, based on two people who uh, aren't particularly competitive players, or certainly weren't when we filmed um, the, pod uh, the video, um, but who, who kind of came up with what they considered an average army. So uh, maybe keep an eye out on the Battle Games in Middle-Earth YouTube channel. Uh, but either way, uh, thanks for, for getting in touch. Really appreciate and really appreciate a listener. Now, um, let's go back to Ivo. You're pretty sure the answer for this podcast riddles is a random hobbit who, contrary to popular belief, is not Andy Serkis. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know there was a, a, a rumour that it was, but um, they're telling Frodo to... Mind the pumpkin! <laughs> Evo, you are absolutely correct. Uh, lots of people refer to the person speaking uh, uh, about the pumpkin, and I don't know why they just ignored it, it's someone, it's a character, it's someone speaking a line, it's it's a hobbit saying, mind the pumpkin, that is the answer, Why? it's rules as written, it's not a, not a rules as intended uh, kind of situation, this is a, this is definitely the, uh, the hobbit, a hobbit, um, with 
a pumpkin. So uh, there you go. That is the answer. And the reason I chose that one is actually one reason and one reason only. It's because this podcast is due to be released on Halloween. Ha <laughs> ha! Although uh, I suspect it might get delayed because of life and stuff and junk and that. But we'll see. If it does get released on Halloween, uh, then I shall be very happy and uh, it will be perfect for a yeah, perfect timing for the riddle. So with that in mind, let's have another riddle in the dark. Ooh, interesting. Lots of uh, lots of action, some some horns in the background, but can you tell who speaks next and what they say? Let's have another listen. Okay, one more time, one more time, let's listen, one more time. Entmootpodcast at gmail.com If you think you know who speaks next and what they say in The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings film trilogies. Now, uh, coming up, we have The Adventure of a Lifetime. We're heading off to the battle for Unnumbered Tears with my 797 points of Easterlings. But of course, uh, do get in touch with all your ideas uh, about the podcast. If you if you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear, or maybe you'd like me to streamline something, maybe you'd like me to change something, or maybe you have some comments on the games or the armies that I face or the armies that I take. Podcast at gmail.com is the place to be. Now, let's head off on an adventure. Stop. I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. Game one of the Battle for Unnumbered Tears, or Battle of Unnumbered Tears, I never get it right, quite right. I'm playing against Crispin, and uh, we have encountered one another in the tables before uh, at Ardacon in doubles. Um, I can't remember how that one went, but... Uh, how did you fancy your chances here? Just give us a list of your, your um, overview of your list, and then uh, how did you fancy your chances? Uh, well, I, I've used them before, and the, uh, it's a bit of a psychological game here, because I've got the Blackgate Legion, but I've got the Troll Chieftain plus four other trolls, with some Moran and Orcs, and a Moran and Orc Captain, the Cheap Captain, and, and a few Orcs thrown in for, uh, for spear support. Absolutely, and there's, there's, there's quite a low-ish number of models. Is it, what, 30, I think, or, or maybe slightly under 30? 27 models. 27 models, but crucially, you've got five trolls, which even, even most armies with huge heroes are going to struggle to cope with, just trying to work out. So I guess the, the game here, and this was to the death, is to try and get behind the lines and kill the orcs for me. What were you trying to do to break my, my army and, and kill my leader? My aim was just to kill as many as I could to do the uh, to break you, rather than to aim for the leader itself, because he's a tough cookie to kill. Well, yeah, and he flies around, and you just don't have anyone to catch up with him, do you? So, so, and as the game developed, it started. We both kind of deployed on this sort of line. There's a big, huge ruin, like a churchy-type ruin, in the middle, um, and I sort of went round one side and then started walking my way through the ruin with an attempt to vaguely pounce on your back lines once your trolls had come round, but. It didn't quite pan out like that, but it all sort of worked its way through once once the trolls kind of collided. It was all 
hell for leather really I kind of put all my cookies into one basket or eggs into one basket or whatever you want to say uh, to try and get your troll chieftain um, what did you think to my strategy of kind of sneaking my guys into the ruins where your trolls couldn't get them use the scenery very well uh, one of the big weaknesses of having five trolls is the base size so I really need an open field uh, I didn't have one and therefore uh, I struggled I got into your line eventually uh, but again use the scenery to stop me doing too many heroic combats and really smashing them up so absolutely and I, I, kept, I fed you the odd or uh, odd easterling um, occasionally which the fury really came into its own in this one because I could just without fear send a, send a couple of guys in as as bait and then move everyone else away and just keep kind of teasing away and trying my, my actual objective was kill the three orc uh, bowmen which sounds like a strange objective but I knew I needed to break you and and it was a relatively low number and the only guys that would look like easy meat were the orc bowmen on the end so I went straight for them and I thought well once I've done that I can work it out and it just took ages to do that but the drum came in handy as well just having that extra move to pull me away from the trolls early on but my, my big kind of what was my ace in the ace in the sleeve was was meant to be all of my acolytes went into the ruin so six uh, acolytes hanging around on the edges and I was hoping the trolls would come along leaving the orcs and the banner in particular I wanted to kill that banner for the uh, VPs and the acolytes would then pounce off the building ninja style and uh, and get the plus two to their jump tests and charge into combat sadly about four or five uh, attempts, not, not one of them managed to get into combat until I think the la- very last one, which kind of scuppered my, uh, my sort of ambush. That would have really changed the game if you'd wiped my orcs out mm. behind the back line, because they were very well protected, yeah. and one of their aims is to stop you surrounding my trolls. Yeah, yeah. And, and they did very well at doing exactly that, but it was just one of those things that I, I didn't quite get the momentum to do that, and that meant that they were then on the floor pinned up against a wall instead of you know throwing daggers into combat and doing all that sort of stuff but I did I did pull off a couple of cheeky uh, dagger throws to kill my own boys to stop uh, the chieftain getting some momentum yeah you were very quick to uh, to sacrifice a few of your own to stop me taking advantage of mm. a few hurls or barges to really move up the line quickly yeah and how did you find that the the trolls performed I mean they did get a chance to do uh, a few hurls and you know unseated my um uh, Dragon Knight, uh, no that was a shot from the bow wasn't it, but you, uh, you unseated a few guys and you disrupted the line a bit they didn't quite get the momentum that I, th- I suppose you were looking for though Yeah, because I always had two stuck behind and not really doing anything so, uh, so in that respect you used your line quite carefully and you did retreat once or twice which again stopped me doing any hurling or barging, yeah. so everyone I went into combat with I killed, yeah. but uh, it was it, small numbers. Yeah it was, I mean the troll against one Eastling, it's, a, it's an inevitability isn't it, but I just didn't give you enough Easterlings to really give you the chance to break me. And, and in the end, the, the kind of the big moment for the, of the game was um, I managed to get the Easter Dragon Knight and Amder and a sort of five or six uh, Easterling warriors surrounding the, um, the Troll Chieftain. And you had a, had a few guys to pick them off, but again, it was those Troll bases that just struggled to get the movement. And, and I think one of the things that you struggled with in here was... was that you only had two captains with the might and they were often hiding behind as well and um, so you're relying on the troll chieftain's might to, to push forward which obviously you're reluctant to do because he wants to be able to use it for strikes and things like that I was and I think in my next game I'm going to learn from that I'm going to set up my captains closer to the troll chieftain mm. so I can use the heroics yeah. a lot smarter than I did here because yeah. I lost my Moran and Orc captain with actually only using one might yeah. I, 
I, I saw him and I thought, right, that captain is mine. I'm going to send, send my kill team of Amder and, uh, and Kamal. And eventually Kamal kind of heroic combated into, into the captain and took him out in one go, which was very nice. Kamal did underperform a little bit. I mean, he struggled to kill an orc bowman three times and things like that. But crucially, he stayed alive and pulled off the odd immobilise, which really did work. Um, Amder got the, got the kill with the troll chieftain, which meant, finally, I've got him as a six-inch banner, which was pretty cool for one turn, although I don't think it was ever useful. But in the end, it did come down to literally the troll chieftain's death. I'd kept Kamal alive. We both still had a banner at the end, so it's a 4-1 victory to me. Yeah, so even though the trolls are very tough, Kamal is still very scary. Yeah. Trolls have very low courage, so... I didn't want to waste moves by trying to take him on. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you did very well to just choose the choose the easy pickings, and you didn't just. I think you just got a bit unlucky on the odd uh, moment, and I used my might and uh, blood and glory quite well to to claim the might back and keep the strikes going with uh, with Amder and uh, the Dragon Knight and so on. But either way, Crispin, it was a pleasure to play, and I think it made for a really tactical game, having this huge bit of ruin in the middle and the movement, and it was certainly a scary prospect of having to deal with five trolls, even if there were a weak point behind the line. I still had. To get through the trolls. Yeah, thank you very much, Harry. There's a lot of fun that game. Great, thank you. So, game number two uh, actually ended up being against Elliot. Uh, Elliot, I can't remember his second name. Hamer? Haim? Some, something along those lines. Uh, forgive me, Elliot, I've already forgotten your name, and I've written Elliot H down in my notes. Uh, so, not particularly helpful. But either way, Elliot, uh, uh, we had a game, and as you can tell, uh, Elliot wasn't able to talk to me. He was willing, and he seemed very keen, but sadly, um, uh, he works for Games Workshop, Ugh. which is becoming very frustrating. Um, Games Workshop's uh, sort of stranglehold over the uh, the ability of their uh, employees to talk uh, is is really annoying. Um, but you know, uh, commercial secrets and all that. Uh, Elliot, I think, worked in um, the Kill Team, uh, writing the rules for Kill Team. So, so pretty cool. I mean, it was unlikely that um, any of his sort of um, you know reveals about Kill Team were, were going to come out in the course of the interview about this game in uh, of SBG but you know, I, I get it, they've got a policy and I don't want to get anyone in trouble so um, I'm knocking at the back door um, to try and sort that out and you know, see if uh, uh, see if that we can change that policy because it'd be great to have all of the games in the podcast um, but I suppose on the other hand it's great that um, people who are working at Games Workshop are very much into the tournament scene for Middle Earth even if they play Kill Team um, uh, and he apparently previously worked in 40k uh, and doesn't really play that anymore so I guess that uh, tells a lot uh, about the quality of SBG comparatively to some of G- uh, Games Workshop's more popular systems anyway he did say uh, you'd be uh, welcome to quote me um, in in your uh, sort of podcast. So that's really cool. So first of all, I'll give you a rundown of what he had. Uh, Elliot had Ugluk Scouts. So he had Ugluk, Malher, a Captain, Grishnak and Snaga. Uh, so 800 points this is. This is uh, a fair amount of models. I think he had 40 or so. Um, and the mission was Assassination, which, let's be honest is absolutely perfect for me. I mean, I couldn't come up against probably a better army um, with a better army uh, in Assassination. Ideally, I'm wanting to be um, killing heroes with mine, and um, he's got a lot to choose from. So, obviously, uh, I couldn't use Kamul as an assassin, and I couldn't kill Ugluk, 
but uh, I chose Amda Hazar, um, which, you know, a brilliant person to be choosing to assassinate things, um, and I chose to kill Malher. Now, I could have gone for Grishnak or Snaga or the Captain, um, because they're, you know, relatively easy targets. They're all pretty straightforward to kill. Obviously, Grishnak and Snaga have, uh, I think Snaga may not, but Grishnak certainly has Strike. Um, so I wa- wasn't particularly keen on the idea of taking him on and, and him getting lucky. Um so I went straight for Malher because I figured Malher is he's moving fast, he's got three attacks, um he's a bit scary, he's fight five, he's strength five. But and that's a big but, Amda has him for breakfast. He's fight six, he's strength th- uh, yeah, you know, strength four, but you know, he uh, got three attacks with a knockdown. This is the perfect target um for him. So that's who I chose at the start. As it turned out, Malher also was his assassin and he was trying to gun for the priest. So the deployment was really interesting because um, he was waiting for me to de- uh, waiting to deploy uh, Malher. He told me this afterwards. He waited to deploy Malher till the last minute because he wanted to pounce on the priest. But of course, I had already, um, I've been waiting for the um, uh, Malher to deploy. So I deployed my um, uh, 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 Kamul and his uh, sorry Kamul and his guys over the left the um, black dragon uh, sorry the uh, dragon knight and Amda and the black dragon cataract on the left with the drum but used my sort of tricksy old drum maneuver to get into the pretty much in the perfect position um, in the first turn so um, what I did I I left uh, moved everything all my big heroes from the left hand side to the right hand side with a big fast drum maneuver redeployed most of my um troops as well to deny the uh, possibility of um Ugluk getting stuck in and then essentially um I just saw a chance in the second turn to um compel Malher who had been drummed f- far forward um I'd lost the move um or I didn't call a move I don't think um and he'd so he'd had had the drumming um so he'd been drummed and he'd moved 11 inches forward in an insane uh, uh, move but then that proved to be his downfall because using Kamal's compel i compelled him five and a half inches out the front because he'd been drummed so he had to move extra or whatever the move was i can't remember it was either three inches extra so what would it have been five Anyway, whatever it was, it was, yeah, five and a half sounds right. Um, so uh, that's pretty awesome because he moves eight normally, that's right. Uh, half of that is five and a half. And um, moved him right out, uh, jumped on him with Kamul and um, the Amda and I think the Dragon Knight as well, if I could fit them in. I can't remember. Uh, it's been a, a, a day or two since since that happened. But um, that's what happened. First turn, called a right combat. I was that confident. I killed... Um, I killed him, Malher, in one go, and Bish Bash Bosh sent Kamul and the uh, and Amda into Grishnak as well. Um, so in the first turn, I killed um, Malher and Grishnak, which I thought basically had won me the game. I, 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 how could I? How could I not at that point? I thought if he's choosing anyone to be his assassin, he's either going to choose Malher or Grishnak because they're strikers or, or big hitters. Doubt he'd use the two, a captain with the two-handed weapon um, and Snaga seems unlikely. So from that, I think I think I, I was pretty pretty happy. Um, and to be fair, uh, Elliot did say to me afterwards, he literally he said, you can quote me on this, you outplayed me. 
Um, he thought my flank was weak um, he, in, and fell straight into my trap. Um, but he, though he did say um, he, he got the last hurrah um, because he got a kill on uh, Kamul, the Easterling. Um, but knew it wasn't going to be a victory. It wasn't. But either way, he felt felt he got the moral victory. Yeah, because he sort of. Um, I think Kamal got in a sticky situation a couple of times. Um, uh, a couple of roll offs went against me. Um, and move off. Sorry. So he, he. I think I. What I did was I tried to heroic move into two banners at once. That's right. Uh, two banners at once. Um, who I, I was like I was. I heard combated into them or something like that and um, thought this is a great way of getting rid of two banners that's well worth doing um, then proceeded to roll so badly on my um, three dice uh, that uh, with no might left um, that the banners then won and also ended up killing uh, Kamal so uh, not ideal not ideal at all but still uh, not so bad um, because I won in the end 8-3 which leads us on to game number three so game three of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears against Rowan. And I, I'm trying to think whether you were on the podcast. I know we played before, but yes. I can't remember what, what, it, was what it was. It was at Seventh City? Co- Master and Commanders at Seventh City. We played and you beat me there. I did. So on the second day this was, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I remember. Day, yeah. So that was where we had uh, Ed Ball tutoring me on day one. And then I came uh, on the second day. We, we went off on our own, didn't we? And you had Jay Clare tutoring you as I well. I did. Yeah, I had Jay Clare. And I was taking an Isengard list and I didn't really know what I was doing back then. That was a year and a half ago now. Well, a lot has changed since then, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we're on. Uh, so we're in the the higher echelons, which is rare for me. Table six um, uh, with my Easterlings, and just give me a summary of your army because I don't think I've ever encountered anything even remotely close to this army before. Yeah. Okay. So I love Galadriel as a model. So all my list building starts with Galadriel, and then the question is, who do I ally Galadriel with? And there's a green alliance with Rohan, so I've allied her with Grimbold and loads of Helmingus. So I've got a strength for frontline. And I give all of those throwing spears just for a bit of extra oomph. And then I also have Theodred and three royal guards um, and also a captain on horse to be a bit of a a mobile contingent. Um, And then in Galadriel's warband, I've got a mixture of elves. Um, The key thing is I've got four wood elf sentinels, which I'm sure Harry will elaborate on, whether it was a good number or too many or not. Well, it's interesting. I I don't know the answer to that. Um, Because when we had a chat about this before we started... Um, I was like, oh, four, that's a lot. That's 100 points worth of Sentinels. That's tricky. Having said that, uh, all of them are alive, I think. Yes, all, of the, all four of them are alive. And they were very irritating. So, I mean, maybe they're the right, the right choice. But I think your army mitigates the fact that they're very expensive by having plenty of Rohan chaff, which, which really works in your favour. Um, we're playing Command the Battlefield. So this is a Maelstrom mission where um, you have to capture table quarters, but there's like a dead zone in the middle of the table. And... Um, what, what was your strategy going in before we'd even rolled for priority and rolled for the Maelstrom? My strategy, I was, I was thinking, if I can keep all my army together, they work best because the Rohan and the Elves work well together with the Elves spear supporting. Um, and I also knew I had so much magic that I might be able to cause Harry some issues towards the end of the game. Um, if maybe he had two of the quarters and I had two, maybe I could kind of pull some of his models around and uh, try and just about win. Um, I, I wasn't thinking about breaking him or Kamul. I was more thinking about getting two and a bit quarters uh, was wow. my aim interesting and of course protecting Galadriel which you, which you did with aplomb to be fair and so it was Maelstrom mission um, most of my army deployed in one quarter uh, my, as you look at the table for me uh, bottom right um, and then Kamul rolled uh, a three or whatever it was to uh, maybe it was a two to get to the um, uh, the other opposite side of the table with a sizable warband and I, th- I mean I don't know what I was thinking I, d- I generally thought 
Mm, I could might this, and I think did I need one or two might? I can't remember. I think you needed both. Yeah, I think yeah. it was both might, um, or one might to take it down to the one to uh, ch chance it for a half and half next turn. And I decided not to spend the might, and basically that 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 lost me the game very early on, and I was very much trying to claw back from that after after it because you spent a lot of might because um, I, I I went on first. You spent a lot of might to make sure your army was surrounding and killing that that quarter. Was that was that the what what did it for me really yeah i think so but again if you had spent both might on kamul he's now out of might and it's your leader and there's a chance and you, again you don't know where i'm deploying so even if you deployed somewhere else kamul with no might i might have still decided to try and target him and it would have been a very different game but it's i wouldn't say it was a bad decision i just got quite lucky with my deployment roles as well and going second in maelstrom is always so so i don't know Helpful, yeah. isn't it? it? It is an advantage, definitely. I, but I, you, you did you, you did exactly what you should have done. You spent a lot of might to make sure that all of your guys were in there. So I think you spent two might on Grimbold and maybe one on another warband and things like that. So and you mighted down the Rohan captain to make. Was that right? Or the Rohan captain? Oh, he just rolled a one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So either way, you, you you did it right and you made sure your army was in the right place. And they slowly chewed through that warband. Which, uh, bearing in mind, this is thirteen models out of my uh, thirty-five. So this is near over a third of the army so so I, I my only way of thinking that I could potentially win this one was by um, sending enough guys to die while you were still pinned in that quarter um, and then have everyone else take the quarters and sadly Rohan uh, renowned for being able to uh, sorry Rohan and um, Easterlings are renowned to be able to survive quite well um, up till the bitter end and that's exactly what they did they kind of survived that little bit too long that meant that in the end you took um, all but one table quarter, which I just had one more model than you. Yeah, exactly. And it really helped me having four cavalry models who could go and take out one of your contingent of, I think you had six infantry without any might over there, mm. um, which meant I could, I mean, even if, if you had got moves um, priority and things, I would think I would have been able to take them out. So, yeah, having the the mounted contingent really helped me as well yeah I think yeah those four cavalry did, did the work Theodred as well I mean even if even if they didn't the score was such that, that it wouldn't have made a difference anyway even if I had got that quarter but either way Rowan I could tell um, you've definitely improved the game I mean it helps when you're living in Nottingham and playing or near, near Nottingham and playing a lot with um, with people like Jay Clare and things like that I guess you're, you're picking up some definite tips but you can tell you, you know exactly what to, where to move things now um, and you're quite rightly at, top, at table six and going up as opposed to me going down. So um, congratulations game. I think it was 8-1 in the end? Yeah, I think it was 8-1, yeah. I, I only lost three models, which is a surprising result, isn't it, when you think about how much fighting there was. And uh... Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 you didn't have to rub that in. But <laughs> and, but no, I, I think that, that was a conscious decision on my behalf, to be fair. Um, I was shielding a lot to try and survive, um, and the people that I was sending into combat, I wanted to die. So I was doing things like fainting and stabbing and, and, and you know, sending Ander and the Dragon Knight into a... a Grimbold and um, then sending Amder and uh, the Dragon Knight into Grimbold kind of I mean I didn't really care if they died I just wanted to kill stuff and stop you from moving down this little channel that was there so because they weren't the leader I didn't mind if I killed you great I might wait break through and get to Gladriel uh, if I don't fine I die and then hopefully quarter in the right time but sadly didn't quarter at the right moment um, although my leader survived, uh, your leader survived, and you had more, more of the uh, battlefield. Rowan, you commanded the battlefield. Well done, and good luck on the top tables. Thank you very much. Yep, so it's game four. 
uh, of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears and I'm playing against Dave Sweeting, legend uh, and excellent painter and man of, uh, man of many talents. And what, I frequented many tournaments together, but I can't, I'm trying to think if we played maybe early on. Have we played before? We haven't, so... No, I didn't think we had. I know we've met a few times, but I could, didn't want to embarrass myself and say we've, we've not played. On, we've, been on, we've been next to each other a few times. Yes. I think you were using the fellowship, actually. Ah, yes, and uh, that's exactly what you're using. I'd ask you to get run through your list, but yeah. it's 795 points worth of the fellowship. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the full fellowship and Andrew on uh, Aragon, and that's it really. And you, you don't have any of like the armor or anything like that. So you've gone full theme, and they've got some beautiful, beautiful bases with sort of uh, uh, Minds of Moria theme, lots of grey and edge highlighting, and um, and actually they, they are absolutely stunning. Um, I will get a nice photo and post it onto the Entmoot Facebook page. But um, this this is a, a beautiful thing. What, what, how long does it take you to paint each of these individual models? Is it is it a m- gargantuan task yeah um, they weren't terrible because the, it's the fellowship so it's kind of enjoyable so you can kind of power through a little bit and you don't feel the need to take a break like yeah. you might with something a bit dull like the 24th goblin or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, I reckon maybe eight hours a model maybe maybe up to 12 which for me is actually quite quick that, that's that's a long time but i mean it really does show the the effort went into it and the the nuance in particular the faces they look absolutely outstanding any any top tips for doing faces because i always struggle i just follow the um I, I, for the skin on these i've just followed the games workshop standard scheme their eyes is the usual thing of it's quite hard to describe dark around this sort of what we call that? I guess the eyelid or eye, eye yeah. socket. Eye socket, yeah. eye socket, that's right. Uh, darker skin colour there. Paint the eyes um, side, sideways. Yeah, horizontal. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's going to translate do you necessarily to audio. <laughs> no, but that, that's... And then you do a white horizontal line and then a black vertical line. Yeah, and if that black vertical line... This is important because a lot of people just try and redo the whole eye. Don't redo the whole eye. Just tidy up that black with that darker skin colour and that's that's the basics of it well I mean it looks outstanding and and you know we're in mid table so obviously they've performed to an extent I mean how how have you done in your earlier games um, to get you to table 11 I think we're on 11 Mm, game one I got trashed by Azog there was some there were a couple opportunities where I could have taken him down potentially with a bit of luck Um, but with the fellowship I think you need some luck and then the other two games I think the opponents weren't so used, uh, weren't so familiar with the fellowship. Whereas, I think I knew you would be, and I think it showed in the game a little bit as well, actually. Yeah, I, I think it, it is probably the case. I mean, basically, we deployed and we were playing breakthrough. So this is an objective scenario. So I already kind of knew I was probably going to win this, um, and I, I needed to do a lot wrong to lose this one. But um, I knew that I that. I needed to kind of deploy in a place where I could spread my guys and take the objectives and know that I was going to win on that anyway. Um, but I also I, I set up a line of the acolytes with the bows um, pretty far forward. So I knew that you were going to be drawn in a little bit pretty early on. And, and you decided to basically go, well, screw this, I'm sending the big boys in. So you charged him with Gimli, Aragorn, Legolas and Boromir in the first turn and went for the acolytes and I'd had the pikes behind them. But I guess the, the objective was... If I kill in all of these combats, I've, I've like broke the back of the uh, the job. Is that the idea? 
yeah, I was I was struggling for a plan really for this scenario. I couldn't really, nothing was coming to mind. So I just thought I'll just I'll see what happens. Um, hope for a bit of luck and hope something opens up. It didn't open up. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it, it, you, you did struggle because I think the acolytes. I, I, I cannily put my two attack guys at the front, so I knew that I was going to get a lot of dice. So it, it really forces you to spend those um, will uh, the might points to to make sure you win those combats. But but also I, I left enough room for Amber to come around the end, and he took out Legolas, and then Kamal and the Dragon Knight were threatening the other people. So it was just slowly chopping down one hero at a time. And and surprisingly, in a, a rare occurrence, the the people that survived the game were Gandalf and uh, Pippin at the end, uh, just because you'd, you'd hid them right at the back and actually I, I think one of the things you could have done um, to, to mitigate things was use, use Pippin and Merry and Sam to a lesser extent as kind of roadblocks to stop me getting my boys to surround everyone so easily because them hiding back you know it's very admirable but ultimately you know it, it meant the death of your big heroes yeah I do, I've struggled to use Gandalf in some of the games so I was, I was just trying out trying to keep him alive and see how, just as an experiment really for Considering the game wasn't going so, I didn't think the game would go well. So I was just trying stuff out, yeah. trying trying to get used to the army. Um, couldn't really fault anything you did. Actually, I thought it was I thought it was a really sort of sound plan. You could possibly have not risked Carmel, but. I think it wasn't too much of a risk. I think, I think you played that well. No, you're right, you're right. I did put him in a, a position where potentially Aragorn and, uh, or Boromir could have heroic combated into him. But I got very excited by the prospect that um, Frodo, um, who'd put his ring on, I was like, ah, there's something special about this, I can't remember. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'll do, I can kill him. And then I didn't really need to charge him. But it opened myself up for the potential for Boromir to heroic combat into me, which was a, a frightening prospect. Luckily... Um, Boromir did spaff that one and um, made it up, made a mess of it. So he, he didn't actually get the heroic combat off. But I think so. I escaped with the skin of my teeth there, um, and it, it could have made a big difference that swing. But instead, I killed Frodo, got some will back, and um, it meant Kamal was hanging around at the back, causing a causing a nuisance. Yeah, yeah. The only I, I kind of wish I'd not. I tried to save Legolas, I think, uh, in an earlier round and burnt a bit of Boromir's might, which would have been handy later on. I think. Legolas shouldn't have been there potentially. Um, then again, it could have been another hero that that died instead of him earlier on. So, yeah. not sure really. I think I think the lack of um, armor on some of the heroes meant meant that it was they, they could, you could have potentially played a more cautious game. You know, had did Aragorn have a bow? I think he did because you have it exactly thematic for the Minds of Moria, don't you? So, so I think maybe Aragorn um, and Legolas could have stand, stood back. Firing uh, bows, trying to maybe take out Amda's horse uh, and the Dragon Knight's horse, and even Kamul. Um, you could have got a lucky shot of Kamul, spent all your might, and killed him in one go. That sort of thing would have probably been a wiser move. Um, but having said that, you did, you did get. You know, you just kind of needed to win the win the rolls off, roll offs, and your dice didn't exactly roll enough sixes as as much as they could. So. Yeah, I, I just saw a sort of posi- there's there's quite a small gap in between some woods and. And uh, quite a large house in the middle, and I, I would just kind of lured into that. I think maybe, maybe if the terrain was different, I would have, I would have definitely gone for that other option of hanging back and shooting. Um, well, well, in many ways, I think you, you 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 had that terrain, but I think you you burst out of it a little too soon because there's there's probably less than a six inch gap between that wood and that corner of that building, and if you have four heroes like like the four that we talked about standing in that that gap, I'm going to send in. 
either Amder and, and Kamal and, and the Dragon Knight, and they're not going to be able to beat Boromir and Aragorn in a straight fight. Um, but I could send, send the, the Warriors, and they'd just slowly get turned into mush by sort of smashing onto your line of heroes. So that might have been a way of doing it. And then maybe leaving Aragorn, uh, sorry, Legolas at the back, sniping through the hole. I think there are ways that you could have, you could have um, got round it, but ultimately... You, you spaffed those dice rolls and, and that kind of meant that you had to pay the might and that left you down on resources very early on. Yeah, I think you laid out those acolytes and those bowmen so nicely. <laughs> it looked more imposing shooting-wise than it probably did maybe. And My blinding lights hadn't done much and people just rolling sixes in the previous games. So I think that was playing on my mind. It's, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, lovely, great game, and it looked looked really cool as all. Well. It, it really did. It must be said. I mean, the, I, I I don't like to toot, uh, toot my own horn, but um, my army looks nice. Your army's beautifully painted. It did feel like a really nice thing. The only thing that was missing was potentially on a on a more kind of uh, wastelandy type battlefield to sort of match our bases a little bit better. But that would have been, cool, yeah. would have been much been cooler. Cool, yeah. yeah. Um, but Dave, either way, I think it was a ten nil in the end to me, and so I, I took all three. Uh, of the objective so I got the main objective at the back and protected my own um, and had more on the left hand side objective did, I did wound Gandalf in the last turn didn't quite take him down but either way um, it, was a, it was a fairly resounding victory Dave well done on the game and um, best of luck for the next ones yeah, you too thank you cheers so game five uh, and day number two crucially and I'm on table five I've got dizzying dizzying height sickness here altitude sickness um, and we're playing um, Breakthrough was it Breakthrough or no no Divide and Conquer we did that yesterday Breakthrough uh, but I think that's what um, Ed called in the initial anyway it doesn't matter right so I've got my Easterlings against uh, Chris Murphy all the way down from Scotland and I believe we played once before uh, a, I think it was Sanctuary uh, event yeah. as well so we're in the same venue I had my Mummock Warley to that la this last time and you had your Iron Hills what did you bring this time against the Easterlings? Uh, this time I brought a Goblin Town with the Goblin King and the usual plus uh, some Nazgul of Dol Gadur with some tricks some tricks, yeah. So you've got a couple of hunter, uh, a, a warband also of hunter orcs, Gundabad with a banner, a horn, um, the spider, and a couple of wargs. So uh, divide and conquer is one way you have to sort of literally divide your army in, into two table quarters and then get to the middle to fight over a, an objective right in the centre, which is worth more than two other objectives, uh, also on the middle line, but are worth less. Um, did you fancy your chances in, in this scenario? Because Obviously, my army relies a bit on the movement and the things that kind of being a bit of a bubble. Uh, I fancied my chances because of those objectives. The other possible scenarios in the, the pool that we could have played would have been a lot harder, like recon and things like that. But the fact that those objectives in the middle sort of suited me a bit for my mass numbers. Although you could get your army together, it just meant you were going to be in the centre and I can then surround you and then slowly work my way through you. And that is kind of what happened. I mean, the, the scribe brought on 20-something goblins, so you, yeah. you had plus 80 models at uh, uh, one point in the game, which is very difficult for me to cope with. But the, you mentioned the tricks, and I've, I've learned an awful lot about the uh, uh, Goblin King and, and the Goblin Army, and you seem to know it like, like the back of your hand. And there was a particular uh, couple of moves that you did with the Goblin King. Just tell me how you used the Goblin King in this game to, to great effect. Uh, so I used the scribe first to bring on some Goblin reinforcements behind Camille. You decided you didn't want to engage, so you moved yourself back so you wouldn't be able to be tagged by them. But unfortunately, it put you in a move range of the Goblin King to throw a Goblin. I flung the Goblin, I got a five, I needed a six. Well worth the point of might because it knocks uh, Camille prone, so that got rid of the Fell Beast. 
Yeah. With one mic point right at the very start of the game. Yeah, it, it meant I, I, if I'd have actually decided to commit Kamal into those eight or so goblins and maybe even get a hurl off because you'd already moved, I might have gotten some kills instead. Instead, I, I knocked off my big killing machine, which I thought, you know, I've, I'm, this, is, this is a mission where I want to be hurling through goblins, killing goblins, taking away lots of models. And I did take away lots of your models. There were 20... Eight was it or twenty three something like that? Either way, twenty three. So a lot of models dead, but crucially, I'd lost massive amounts of killing power in that first turn. Yeah. Uh, also, the the turn after that, I used the lingering shadow to draw all your characters into charging them. Where you were thinking I'll get blood and glory heroic combat off and cause some mayhem, and then fling a goblin again, who was either going to hit Amder and knock him off his horse. But in this case, he actually hit the Lingering Shadow, wounded the Lingering Shadow, so took the Lingering Shadow away so you didn't get the combat or the Blood and Glory back. Yes, yes, I was. I, I, that was a, a devastating blow because uh, I, was, I was really hoping for great things off that heroic combat, at least to churn through some people. But mainly I knew I'd get the might back so it would be a free heroic combat, essentially. But instead it was not and the Lingering Shadow buggered off and uh, you know everyone was kind of standing around with their sort of you know hands in their... Yeah, just hands in the air, kind of wondering what had happened. So, so there was that. But then there was this sea of goblins that sl- uh, slowly churned through my Easterlings. I mean, there, there were, I, my Easterlings died quite slowly, but I think the, the positions they died in weren't ideal. So there was a one I'd sort of divided, well, because they were, had to be divided. Um, one warband ended up kind of dying just slightly between two objectives, which was a bit frustrating. But, I mean, they're still there. There's still a few of them there. But, crucially, they were dying slowly in the wrong place, I think, for most of the game. So I couldn't... And I'd lost a lot of the priorities that meant I couldn't get even moving slightly in. But even if I did, I don't think I'd have actually been able to move anywhere because they were just surrounded so, so quickly. Yeah, all your might was sort of centralised over uh, one of the non-crucial objectives, the, the uncentred one. So I did win a f- quite a few priorities in a row, which did allow me to pin the other ones in place. And I used the like sort of hunter orcs to basically clear off the those ones that were near the objective, just to make sure that I had advantages there. And then the last one the objective you had, I've got clear numerical superiority because yeah. the sheer tons of goblins as well as the extra ones that I brought on that side just pushed you back pushed you back and just hemmed you in absolutely and, and you, you you wisely played the objective I mean uh, there was uh, Amder and the Dragon Knight uh, Dragon Knight died eventually um, Amder and the Dragon Knight though were doing a bit of work killing a few things but they never quite got momentum they killed some heroes got got uh, Kamal got into um, Gollum who had the ring on so he, he knifed him which was which I was quite proud of that was that felt like a good move to get rid of the ring and a point of might um, but sadly the amount of magic I was having to do just to stop the Goblin King after I'd sort of twigged what you were doing with him um, the amount of will I was using to try and immobilise him because he's not particularly good at magic just meant that I was running very low on resources so the right at the end, it was a bit of a Hail Mary move there, just, just to get, sort of clear a path uh, through the control zones to get Amder into the Goblin King. I had to charge a Goblin while on one will. If Kamal had won that combat and wounded, he would have survived the game with no wounds taken, which would have been helpful. And alas, he didn't. Um, and the Goblin King only took a wound as well. So it was all, it was all a bit in, in vain. But it was some fun, fun sort of tense moments at the end where you, you tried to use Grinner's special will as well. So almost get him into space, but wasn't quite enough room. Yeah, the Grinner swap with me is quite useful because the fact that it happens at the start of each phase. So if you can do it in the shoot phase to move him into position, then do it again in the combat phase to like pull the Goblin King out of safety. But unfortunately, there just wasn't enough space to do that. But... Yeah, in the end it was just a slow grind of your models, although there was a fair number of them, there was just 
too many goblins to yeah. deal with on both sides as well. And, that, and that's the issue. When, when I'm facing 66 goblins plus 20 extras, I'm thinking, do I shield in this combat? I mean, I need to kill them, but I know I'll die if I don't. So it, it was, it, it's kind of hard to decide what to actually do. I mean, I, I know I need to kill models, and I did, but nowhere near enough to even cl- uh, come close to breaking you. But, yeah, that sea of goblins just... Um, worked its way through I mean, do you think this is kind of the peak kind of goblin list because you've got easily enough goblins and models to make um, to surround objectives but you've also got so many tricks and uh, up your sleeve that it, it feels like you've got enough to deal with quite a lot of different kinds of armies yeah I thought going pure goblin town probably wasn't worth it because after you take a captain golem the scribe grinner and the king you can put some mercenaries in but after that you basically don't have any tricks it is just a case of rolling more dice, but align with his green allies, eh, amber allies, sorry, eh, putting in Dolgodur, gave me a warhorn, which plus one for courage is very crucial against a lot of terracos and things. And, and for the scribe as well? Yeah, eh, gives me a banner as well, gives me the Nazgul, which provides shenanigans, eh, same with a Mirkwood Spider as well, which eh, done well in this game, the first one that done, but it like took the Dragonite off his horse also took an acolyte out of the game yeah yeah he did very well i think he th- shot three times and hit almost a- a- every time i think so he's he did very well but either way chris it, 11-1 win to you so a resounding victory just a sea of goblins surrounding all the objectives and because um, i i did a hell mary pass with uh, kamal and uh, he, he he lost his combat it took away an extra two or gave you an extra two vps in the last turn even though i managed to claim that one for the goblin king which yeah. i'm I, i'll take as a small victory <laughs> yeah it was a really good game i did enjoy it thanks good good thanks good luck in the well i guess you be up to table two, table one, that sort of area. Yeah. Good luck. Head your hates. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So we're on game number six here at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, and we've got Destroy the Supplies uh, mission against Joe Grocut. Now, first of all, Joe, um, just give us an outline of the army that you've got, and, uh, and you know, give us an idea of what you sort of thought going into the battle. Did you have any plans? Did you think you were going to win, etc., etc.? Cool, yeah, so I've got Thranduil's Halls with all three named heroes. Uh, Thranduil kitted out uh, with the crown and the sword and the elk. Uh, he's got six palace guard, a couple of knights, and then loads of elves, which totals an army of 37. Uh, with regards to the plan, uh, I didn't feel I would get the your supplies at the back because you move a lot faster than me with the drum and with Kamul. So mm-hmm. I didn't feel I would get to them. So the plan was to break you to try and get those points and go for Kamul and the banner. Um, I got I didn't really touch Kamul in all fairness. Um, I managed to break you. A bit quicker than I anticipated I would, but mm. Thranduil's buff of plus one to wound massively helps. Yeah, it does. When he's the centre of your army, he's he's going to be going to be helping you a lot. Um, and uh, so, so the objective thing, because I, I thought right, I, I might have have a good chance at this yes, one yeah, yeah. because because of the movement. Um, and we had two objectives which had to be put on top of terrain, one on my side and one on top of your side. And I've got a flying creature, so I thought that was good. But I, I did find uh, I. Because you have to spend a whole turn there without casting magic, it would basically be a turn of Kamal sat, sat on top of the thing being shot at by Legolas and various other people. So I thought, right, I'm actually probably not going to get that bit. And so my main driving force was to try and scoop around the end and get one of the objectives. And I thought, if I can get that one, it'll deny you one, which I thought, and then I might be able to take the lead based on that and push forward and maybe pincer movement it with because I had like Hero on one side and Kamal on the other side and I thought maybe I'd get it but um, I just found that the elves were 
were very tough to crack through, and in particular with my heroes. My heroes seemed to really yes, struggle. Yes, yeah. I was surprised. When you've got Amdor and Kamul together, I was worried for that side, shall we say. But like you said, they, they did bounce a bit. Um, I mean, they're both still alive, but they didn't kill anywhere near as much as I anticipated. Mm. Um, in particular because you, you very cleverly moved two models forward. And those two models were in movement range of um, a, a turn, so it's forcing me to call that heroic move yeah. in the first or second. Well, basically, the first turn of engagement was That's like right, yeah. you, you know, you've got I've got to call either a heroic move or win priority, and it was a good risk for you because you know either you I, you force me to spend a might point, or uh, you know you get to charge me and tie me down and push me back a bit further. So it was a really really smart move, and it did force me to send that might point, and then neither Kamal nor Amda. I think Amda might have killed one of the three or no there was because there was two was models two with spears that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh Amda killed one and Kamal failed to wound uh, failed to win yeah. the combat actually I think he, he did, yeah. yeah he did poorly generally uh yeah Kamal was very underwhelming I think the first two combats he had I think he on the charge so six dice I think the highest he had was three over those six dice which yeah it, you feel bad as the opponent when that's happening because it's yeah. You've played all them, like you said, that's your centrepiece. Like, yeah, I felt a bit bad, but I think as well, I spent resource on killing the what's it called? The war priest. The war priest, because I thought with my terrible bull, I want him gone for Fury. Mm. So uh, I managed to get a wound on him with the regular archers, and then Legolas burnt two might to kill him, but in the end, it was worth it because you failed a few uh, courage tasks here and there, and it gave me a bit more chance to pick who was fighting what and get traps and. Like I say, and get you killed quicker, I guess. Yeah, I actually thought that was a mistake because um, I, I, I kind of thought I would, I would save the might here for Kamal. Like, there's no, yeah, there's, yeah. I would be waiting. I'd shoot at Kamal every turn, and and spend a two or three might to kill Kamal or to get the, uh, you know, because it's sixes by fours. But you know, yeah, I mean, a couple of turns with might, you yeah. you get him. I'd have thought, but as you, as it turned out, you were completely right. And and I think you, the way you kind of managed resources in this game generally were quite smart. Um, because I, I called a lot of moves and things to try and get into places, but Thrangel was very cautious with his might, and um, uh, Tariel called a couple of heroic combats, which were very good, and you spent might in the right place. I just think you, man- you were very aware of how much might you had, and you did a really good job of choosing exactly when to do it for things like combats and other stuff. Yeah, yeah no, like you say, it's, it's got nine might, I think. Do you have the same? Uh, seven or something seven, I can't remember two, four, five, six. Oh, you have, okay you have less well, the nine might feels low and in, in, in the other games that I've lost this weekend I've been completely outmighted and then I've been quite liberal with it and then lost because it's got steamrolled so. yeah, I had eight actually I remember forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't count under there um, so yeah so like you say when you were doing the heroic moves particularly where Thrandall was I thought well even if Thrandall gets a couple of guys on him so be it I don't need to move I'm quite happy where I was the combats were to try and... Because like you said, you came around this this side of the board to get that objective. So Tyrell needed to try and uh, mop that up as quick as possible, which she did, which was good. Um, I was concerned about the drummer getting there, though. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I think and the, the drummer did encircle around. I just think the... Um, I, I, maybe I didn't send enough models around that side because actually your guys, they're obviously, they fight five, uh, so that's something. So they're going to win more often than not. Um but also they, they, you could send enough models there just to, to make sure you had killed them as well. So there was a... Probably I didn't commit enough to either going around the edge or ploughing through the centre. If I'd have pushed all those... I think it was probably seven or something, yeah. six, seven models on the side, uh, inclu- and plus a drum, uh, with the cast on the, with the drum. They went around that edge. But if they'd have just gone 
full blaze through that. Um, there's a little centre block with a, a sort of four-inch gap, which I could align my pikes into. I think if I'd have used that channel a bit better and used my pikes a bit better, I might have been able to push forward quicker, or not quicker, it's taken a long time, but I might have actually succeeded in winning a few more combats and pushing through eventually. But I think the terrain really was actually quite a... A big hindrance in this game. Usually, I find that terrain helps my army, but this one, because I, I was pushing towards you, um, and you had more or only slightly more models, but it, there were these channels that made it really hard for me to actually crack the nut. Yeah. I think the one thing that was that you did that I wasn't expecting was really good was when you, I think you, you potentially called the drum and got through that four-inch gap with loads of guys, but didn't engage because you drummed. Yeah. But you were through. I was like, oh no, no, I, I wanted to hold that gap yeah. and stop you, but you got straight through. Like, which was real, which caught me off guard. Which, yeah, because I suppose you were probably anticipating a, a charge or, yeah, or, or to yeah. fill the gap, or you know, whatever. But I wanted to get as close because, especially yeah. because I knew that that last six inches towards the objective, which is probably about six, seven inches between that gap and the the yeah. central objective, I think that last six inches was going to be the hardest six inches to move. So if I can push it an extra further, a couple yeah, of inches yeah. forward, and make it five inches rather than nine, then it would. It, it, may, it would have hopefully made the difference. Alas, it didn't because you, you're very cautious with keeping Thranduil pretty much sat on the centre objective the whole game, and uh, and you know sort of fighting off any advances from the side flank. So, uh, yeah, I found it really. I, th- I felt like I was playing catch up most of the time because of Kamal and Amda kind of bouncing a bit. I was hoping yes. they'd get stuck in, churn through a few more, a few of the uh, troops on one side, and then slowly churn through more and maybe give me a chance to kill Legolas and stuff like that which to be, that's, that's another combat we didn't mention um, Legolas had spent the two might to shoot war, the war priest and um, then he only had one point of might left and Amder went into the side uh, side of your um, line essentially there were two guys in the end and Legolas charged in uh, to counter charge and I was I was thinking right okay this is this is a bit of a 50-50 um, but I thought I might have the chance to get this one and you were umming and arming out yeah. calling the strike um, and you did in the end which I think was probably the right move uh, because, uh, because it paid off because it, it gave me a free strike yes but it relied on me it gave you a chance to get the highest, higher fight and I rolled a one on mine and you got a better one and then you took Amber's horse out and he survived but he was severely blunted after yes, that yeah yeah, that's it I, I was more concerned about Amber weirdly because I, I, I would have expected Kamul to do what he did at the end which was mop up the guys mm. who broke through to the uh, objectives so Amda, and with Amda not being your leader he's a bit more he can he can go in and fight a bit yeah. more uh, readily but now um, Amda killed Douglas as well yeah. Uh, the follow- I think it was the following turn. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a couple of turns after that. Yeah, a couple of turns. And he got his mic back. But that was because we, we had a bit of fun because it was almost <laughs> the final turn. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to faint on fight nine down to the six. And you were like, well, I'll stab then. Yeah. So that was quite fun. And I, I ended up winning and taking Legolas out, which was quite good. But you're right. I'm do- I think you probably almost well, I, I think I didn't expect much of him because he failed so early on so much early on and you probably underestimated him because he failed so much early on um, but in the end he did end up killing about six or seven models um, including the two cav which were definitely going to get your uh, destroy one of my supplies so it did deny you a, a resounding victory but it was still a 4-0 I, I think it probably would have been a 2-0 if I'd have remembered that there was a banner thing, I just I, I did when we were reading the mission. I, got, I read the first four bullet, uh, first three bullet points on the victory conditions, and didn't read the banner bit. So um, I, I think I probably would have been more cautious with my banner had that been the case. But either way, you killed it, and you got a four 0 win, and you're heading up to table five ish. And I go back back down to where I belong. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. If, when you threw the banner around, 
I thought, oh, you must have got a plan. There must be a reason the banners come all this way around. Very rarely do I have a plan. <laughs> and then the plan didn't materialise and Thrandall was still next to it. would be rude not to at this point. Um, I took the opportunity, but that aside, it would have been 2-0, yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. And to be fair, the plan with the banner was, I want to get as many models to block off the guy, because they were literally, all my guys were literally on the uh, supplies yeah. at that point. There were three or four of them. Um, so I, I wanted to try and box off and my models so that at least one would be unengaged and therefore destroy the supply and just just because you had enough models and I think I lost the priority two turns in a row and so I didn't get a chance to actually spread out and leave that guy in the middle and which meant that I couldn't destroy the supply and I just ended up getting mopped up instead but either way Joe it's a really interesting game and really um, I, I found it really really tough um, but also, um, yeah, I just think, I think you played it really well, and especially the, the way you played Thranduil, because other people would have been more reckless with him, and you were very, very cautious and used him exactly how you should. Yeah. Kept him protected and used his power when he needed it. Yeah, no, um, I lost a game the other day where he died in the first turn because I was reckless. So that is from, <laughs> that is from learning yesterday, um, not to throw him in unnecessarily. <laughs> Absolutely, that's how you learn. Well done, Joe. Thank you very much for the game. Cheers, Harry. Thanks a lot. Game 7 at the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. It's been a very long tournament. Lots of 1 hour 50 games and lots of exhaustion. Um, and finalising things, it's the Lords of Battle scenario. Uh, so lots of killing. So at least it's fairly straightforward except for all the tallying and paperwork that you have to do after a long tournament. And playing against Josh as well. Josh who has, um, I think you said you'd, you'd listen to some podcasts or watch some of my videos. Yeah, Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Watch a load of videos. Not too many podcasts, but enough. Uh, enough. I recognise a few names here. <laughs> enough, excellent. Well, that's good to know. Um, and then you decided to spank me on the last game. No, it's fine. Uh, well, just before we get into the, the actual um, results, just, just tell me a bit about your army list. What have you brought? Because you actually brought something that's fairly common, but with a slight subtle difference that um, not a lot of people do. Yeah, so I brought Return of the King, Legendary Legion, Aragorn King... Uh, Legolas. Just, just Aragorn. Oh, yeah, Aragorn and King. Sorry, I thought you meant Aragorn, King, LSR. Sorry, for a sorry, no. Aragorn's Rider, the King of the Dead, Legolas, which I think is quite common, and then the Herald of the Dead, and t- two riders, 26 models in total. And you're sort of in the middle of the, the tables, and obviously you won this one as well. So does that make you four wins and three losses? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, so um, the Herald isn't, an, isn't often included in the army. How has it worked out for you? I quite liked him. He's done really well. He's just really good at mowing through troops, really. Uh, the will points for the King of the Dead worked quite well, I found. I misplayed him on one game and it didn't go off too well. He died quite early. Other than that, he's been really solid, I think. Yeah, he has. I mean, to be fair, he almost uh, copped a, a Kamal to the face, um, but narrowly avoided death there. So um, you almost did it, but then you qu- you quite wisely moved him out of the way um, after that because uh, uh, that was uh, that was a wise move. But yeah, he, he did. He certainly yielded you some heroic moves and some maybe even a combat at the end, wasn't it? A heroic combat with the with the king. I think it was two combats. Oh, two combats. There you go. Um, so so with that in mind. Um, when you saw the Easterlings uh, and the way we deployed, uh, what, we kind of deployed about eight inches away from each other. Um, what was your game plan? Did you have one? Well, I, I saw you put the War Priest down, mm-hmm. and so I thought, if I get rid of him quick, you don't have the Fury, so you struggle to charge me. Mm-hmm. And then you ran away. Yeah. So that was, my, that was the initial clip. I thought we had this choke point in the middle. As long as you couldn't leverage the numbers on me, I thought I was going to be okay. And then it was a case of dealing with Kamul, who was the big thing I was worried about. Getting rid of Amda's horse with the Legolas, which worked fairly quickly. Well, it took a few turns. Yeah, but I think it was the first turn that Amda went into combat, I yeah. got it. So you never had the chance to yeah. leverage it. 
that, that is true, yeah. I think, I think you took off a point of, uh, uh, so a wound off the priest in the first couple of shots, then you missed one or something like that, or it didn't wound a couple of times, and then, then you finally got Amda's horse. But, but yeah, you, you mentioned that I, I kind of redeployed, which is a, a bit of a favourite manoeuvre of mine, uh, manoeuvring around. Do you think that actually paid off for me in this one? Because I'm not convinced that it did. I don't know. I did think after you called the move and ran, I thought you were going to move towards me and just resense the line. So as soon as you moved away, I thought, oh, well, I should have just called a move, shouldn't I? Um, I think it was a very tough matchup for you. Like, so for every objective-based spread-out scenario, I've lost. Yeah. For every killy one, I've won. The supplies one I, was a very narrow victory. Uh, is that called burn the supplies, something like that? Yeah, destroy the supplies. So, I mean, that worked just because I could be in one place, just move along the line. Um, so yeah, I think I think the scenario was more more what wanted for me here today. Yeah, it, it was a t- it was a tough ask, I think, and but mainly because my guys just really really hu- struggle to wound yours. I mean, even with uh, the acolytes, I, I mean, there's a couple of fights when I had two acolytes against one um, one army of the dead with four pikes behind them. So we're looking at eight dice. And I still still struggling to wound those sorts of times. And yeah, you know, and fours, you're going to be what one in nine you're going to wound. Yeah. So, so even with eight dice, yeah, yeah, it's not guaranteed. It, it's it's a tough ask. And then of course, um, you were quite canny with the way you played your heroes. It must be said, um, Aragorn did what he needed to do. I think the one the one sort of uh, misstep on my behalf was I, I didn't I kind of jumped Kamul over the line and got to uh, two I think I got uh, two guys with him. And I'd immobilised Legless so he couldn't shoot, with a view to also charging him. Um, it, and he was kind of hiding over in a, a near in a near a woods. And um, I was I did a heroic combat, pulled off a hurl, knocked everyone over, including Aragorn and a couple of a couple of Eastlings, which I didn't care about. Um, so it stalled Aragorn, which I was really happy with. And I killed crucially I killed the rider which I'd charged. And then um, I you you then told me oh but. You, you can't land in that woodland area because it's it's woodland and yeah. I was like what mm. this doesn't this because uh, it's one of those ones that's like a base and it has three trees on it yeah. uh, but there is clearly room for me to land but <laughs> you yeah. know sometimes those those bases are woodland and sometimes they're just yeah. flat bits with what we forgot to do was define it didn't we yeah. if we did that um I was playing assuming it was. Yeah. Uh, you can see it here, but I would have just tucked him in so that you wouldn't have been able to see him yeah. if, it, if we were playing it that way. Yeah, so yeah that, that is true. Yeah, So you'd have played it slightly differently. And I, to be fair, I might have played it slightly differently yeah. as well. But I was really hoping to get Legolas and kill him, uh, mainly because in Lords of Battle I get the might back. Um, so I could be out of the way. I don't need to fear the loss of the horse, which I think by that point I hadn't lost the horse because um, I'd, I'd immobilised in that turn and it was a following one so, so I think that, that was a big manoeuvre for me that I'd, I'd cocked up and if I'd have been in the right position after getting Legolas I reckon I'd have I, I reckon I fancy my chances against Legolas with Kamul because he's got the he's got the two wheel he's got the charge so he's, would you, you have know. had to fight six I don't know I can't yeah, I could, uh, oh no I wouldn't have that turn that is true I wouldn't have had, had it that turn but um, still four attacks versus two yeah, yeah. Three. I would sp- ben spend might though to win it yeah oh so, yeah yeah. Who knows? I, 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 I feel like I'd fancy my chances more in combat against Legolas than him constantly pestering me. Yeah. So at, at least I would have dealt with that. But either way, it didn't work. I, so I ended up churning into some troops, which I did get a couple more kills. But crucially, it left me in a place yeah, where you, Aragorn... You, you got a wound on the Herald. Oh, he, yeah, that, that was the other choice. Yeah, sorry. Roll, yeah, I, got, I, I sent six dice into the Herald and uh, only got one wound or something like that. So, so that, that stuttered and then Aragorn chopped in and then surrounded me and I, I, I went down after because um, I'd spent all my might, basically. I couldn't get a strike back. So with that, when that happened, I knew I didn't have 
really have the, anything that could chop through. Um, it was early on. I decided well, I'm going to do the Fury rather than the um, the Blade Wrath a couple of times. And I think the Blade Wrath would have been great in this one to get Amda and the Dragon Knight to kill a couple of extra dudes. But it just it was. I just couldn't couldn't risk it not being able to charge. And I did get quite a few crucial charges off. Yeah, you did the right thing. Like when you can't charge this army, you're going to lose. Yeah. So you 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 got unlucky where you rolled a one or a two the first time, didn't you, for Fury? Yeah. So you could have potentially had one, but yeah. 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 Either way, uh, Josh, it was, uh, and you say, you say you've only played fairly, fairly new to the game. Is that right? So you, you've done very well to get to a tournament and win four out of your seven games. I'm going to put it down to a lot of luck. Basically, the scenarios where it was killing, I won. Scenarios where it was spread out, I lost. Yeah. I think it's a very unbalanced list, I would say. I think it works tremendously well, uh, this army, uh, in a lot of circumstances. And yeah, you're, you're probably right. Maybe if you had a few more models, you might have been able to dominate in some of the scenario-based ones. Maybe ditch the Herald. So yeah, dominate with the with the things. That was the only thing I could think. If you really wanted to, to try and get the scenario-based uh, uh, ones, the objective-based scenarios, then maybe drop a Herald and add however many more riders and um, troops that would give you but it might lose yeah. a bit of utility what is it seven models I think you'd yeah. get well six additional models yeah, yeah so 32 rather than 26 either way try, trying to give you tips when you've just given me a, give me a good lashing of 7-0 and um, then you know it's probably a bad idea but either way Josh it's an absolute pleasure to, to play you and uh, I hope you feel proud of your, your great win rate well th- thank you lovely to meet you I've uh, been watching for a while yeah thank you very much cheers The winner of Unnumbered Tears, the battle of Unnumbered Tears uh, here at Sanctuary Games, was not just not just a, a sort of veteran appearer on the podcast, but a friend of the podcast. It's Jasmine Tetley. Well done. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, been a while. I've missed this, so it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back on the podcast. So, so first of all, um, I, we, there's, there's been some tough uh, top tier players here. This is a, a hundred point tournament here. So, so this is in, in the league. So this is some, some of the top players. And going into that. Were you trying to go super hard competitive? Did you bring a list that you desperately wanted to win with or was this a kind of experimental tournament for you? Uh, so I accidentally started doing too well in the league, problems to have, a. Eh? So I was like, well, I guess I should try and go for the podium now. So I built my most competitive list that I could and, yeah, it's a random mix of whatever good tools I could bring with me. So... Uh, do you want me to go for it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, go. Just t- reel them all off because there's lots of different janky stuff in there. Sure. So it's an alliance, which is yellow, of four different armies. So obviously, they all have to have heroes of valor. Mm-hmm. So you've got Boromir of Gondor, yeah. who's the leader from the fellowship. He's got a horse. You've got Legolas with armor and a horse from Thranduil's Halls. He's bringing a sentinel. Then you've got uh, Kyrian, Hurin, uh, Anborn, which is the ranger guy that gets free might points from Minas Tirith and Gladriel Lady of the Light mm-hmm. um, so obviously you've got Lady of the Light in there she gives you all the wonderful counters which helped against Dangmar in my last game you've got Legolas who just means I win every shooting war, he's such a pain uh, even Anborn with the free might point can just threaten uh, is the leader, even though he's got no fate uh, Gladriel can fortify spirit him and then even if he does die, you've got Hurin because he gets the Gondor keyword. Uh, he denies the VPs for that aspect of it. 32 models, uh, 
about 11-ish bows. I was going to say, so so the rest is, what's the rest made up of? Is that Ministerial Warriors and Rangers? Yeah, so it's as many Rangers as I can take with a banner, one knight, and then like two guard of the Gladrum Court with some Ministerial with shield. Right, so you've got a bit of fight six pit, pike support in there. So so 800 points, I, I mean, it sounds like you've oh, got... Oh, it's not guard of the Gladrum Court, it's guard of the Fountain Court. Oh, right, sorry. I okay. get that wrong. Okay, fair <laughs> Yeah, because I was going to say, well, yeah, I don't yeah, know quite yeah. know where they came from, but that's no, fine. No. And so, uh, so with that in mind, you've got an awful lot of tools there, and and you've got a lot of models. Uh, what sort of situations were you in where you really needed to sort of work hard to actually get them into use, or did, was it was the utility just built in and make it easy for you? I guess it's it's an army that requires an awful lot of thinking because I can't really afford to make mistakes. But at the same time, I've got eighteen might points, seventeen of which have heroic strikes. So I dictate the game. Mm. So I'm just calling heroic combats and just churning through as many models as I can like pull stuff out with the sentinel Mm. jump on it and yeah it's just about going well I'm gonna have fewer models my heroes have to pull their weight and it's just making them do that and I'd I'd have thought you know you mentioned that Boromir of Gondor is uh, you can fortify his spirit but surely that that's that's a a tough character to have as your leader to protect I mean did, did he go down a lot or was did he survive most of his games uh, I think he survived most of them, but the best one was when I played um, Big Scary Azog. Him and Hurin were trying to do a sneak mission to go destroy the supplies. Azog came back and was like, I don't think so. And then Hurin was like, uh, see you later, Boromir. I'm going to just just let them have one VP. Like, I'll save the other one. Right, yeah. And then you can go with destroy the supplies with them, I guess. Uh, well, I didn't get to the destroy the supplies, but I obliterated the rest of the army because Azog was tied up trying to just kill Boromir and it was like well in the final round if he takes a wound it doesn't matter it's the same as him dying and and the, the final game was against uh, Angmar um, army with uh, led by Dave Nolan who I think slipped just off the podium in the last one was that a difficult match or was it was, was the hardest match before that last one uh, so my army didn't really match up badly into any armies because I got all the tools. I would say hordes are the worst for it. Mm. Um, and I played two games which had like 50-odd models, um, but I still didn't lose that many because I managed to break them beforehand. But yeah, with the Angmar, it's literally the perfect army because you've got Lady of the Light who just fortifies spirit. She's got banishment as well for all those heroes, and it's such a hard-winning matchup. Mm. And this isn't the first time that she's helped me out against Dangmar in the final game of a tournament, so, yeah. So, so this this army, I mean, it's obviously got all this sort of random stuff squashed together. Is it the sort of thing you can imagine J. Claire neutering soon? I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't see how it would. Um, yeah, it's a really high-skill army, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to have, like, obviously themed legendary legions, but it's nice to find something like this where... I've obviously had to work really hard to put stuff together because now you need heroes of valor, so I had to think carefully about how to do it. So I don't think any one particular part of it. It's just, but you got to remember, is none of my heroes are worth more than 130 points. Mm. So if people are bringing models that are worth 200, 240, well, I've got two models in that place. Yeah. So they're bringing between them, like Boromir and Gladiel have nine might points and they cost the same as Azog, so... Yeah, so you've got the, you're able to counter that very, fairly straightforward, and of course, and you're you're an adept player. You've you've you know been top table of tournaments many a time before, won GTs and won loads of different events. So so I guess in your hands this is a this is a potential scalpel, but in other people it might be like a bit of a I don't know a a butter knife. Well, this is the thing. I wouldn't expect unless I had horrific luck to lose 
anyone mid tables and below because I have that many tools to make plays. What I wasn't sure of was how well it was going to match up against the really, really top players where they also have tools and know how to stop my army. But it is the army that has such a high skill ceiling to it. And if you do play it well and you do get the luck, then it's very hard to stop. But even against Jay, like, obviously I've got my heroes going in, but there was one point where I had a rear guard of Minas Tirith warriors and some rangers, and they just obliterated whatever tried to sneak behind them. And it was like, well, yeah, some days it just goes your way. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. And so against Jay, it was it, it was a pretty resounding victory because he ended up third, I think. Was that right? Uh, well, I actually drew against Jay. Oh. It was a really hard-fought game. Um, he did, a, I think he killed five of my models. Um but he managed to just keep the middle objective um, contested, even though there was a very tense situation with courage tests and sentinels and heroic combat. So did really enjoy it because it was a really hard-fought game. Does that mean it's six wins and a draw for the to- whole top podiums then? Uh, I got six wins and a draw. Um, Jay got six wins and a draw, and Rowan must have in the middle. No, Jay got two draws because he drew with uh, uh. Right. Okay. So that's that. That's, that explains it. Well, Jasmine. Either way, it's it's a very it's a fascinating list that you've put together, and I know you're you're always thinking about these crazy lists with all the heroes from everywhere. So, and it's clearly paid off this time. I can't wait to see your your Bill Barlaman combo uh, in action at some point. Well, yeah. And I guess now that I've done well, I can pull out the old uh, Bill Barlaman, which, by the way, I actually think is reasonably competitive. Maybe not as competitive as this one. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well done, Jess. Thank you. The dust has settled on another battle of unnumbered tears, and uh, as all the uh, all the uh, the room is is sort of slowly packed away and, and tidied up here at Sanctuary Gaming Centre in Sutton and Ashfield, uh, Owen Wright takes a takes a seat. And um, one of the two TOs, Ed Ball, is front of house and kind of performative. It, it must be said, um, whereas you're sort of in the background doing the sort of important work. Is that right, Owen? Yeah, it is. I am the spreadsheet, and I'm actually the main organizer before the event, <laughs> and then. I hand over to Ed's superior voice skills. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem to like being yeah. at the front shouting, hello, hobbits, and things like that. Yeah, this, I mean, I'm a teacher, so I can project my voice, but I just don't have the same charisma levels <laughs> as Ed. <laughs> so. Yes, he's, he certainly enjoys it. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a skill for it, so, yeah. you know, you've got to let some people shine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, with this, this event, um, obviously it's been pushed back a year and things like that for the COVID times and, and so on, but, I mean, it, there was a very high um, sort of level of, uh, of, of gamesmanship going on here. I mean, it's a 100-point event in the Great British Hobbit League, so it attracts some of those top-tier players. And um, as TO, you will have seen lists and you will have seen um, a lot of the games in action even only in passing was there any kind of trends that you picked up as to as to the sorts of things that were doing well in the in the uh, at the top tables I suppose yeah well it was interesting because there were a lot of monsters this weekend like there's a lot of balrogs a lot of mummocks a lot of foul beasts but they weren't around the top tables mm. and I think that that's telling I think part of that was our scenery here because we've really gone to town on density which means that like the Mummocks didn't always have the movement freedom that they otherwise would have done, um, and the Felbies. I mean, Felbies are always great, but um, the top guys all know how to take them down these days, and they have something in their list. And I mean, Jasmine, who won that list, has got a thing to kill Felbies, a thing to kill monsters, a thing to take on heroes. Um, a th- you go actually, as long as she could avoid the one thing she was weak to, which was hordes, she managed to avoid it most of the way through. So mm. she did well. Um, yeah, and I, I think. Actually, a lot of the best gamers rose up today. I think regardless of their list, you saw over the weekend, it was that experience that started to show, toward, particularly end of day one, four games in, it's knackering, but the, mm. the experience shone. 
Um, yeah, and and there were people like um, like you, you will champions of the world who are obviously top top players, and Ali and uh, people like that who didn't quite make it to the podiums, but they were still in the top tables. They're in the mix, and both of them had taken ar- armies that they were sort of not particularly uh, ac- accomplished with or had played very often. Yet they were still there. They were yeah. still sort of bubbling underneath with yeah. Ents and and various <laughs> different things. But and um, yeah, that that definitely shows. And and the top table players are Jasmine and Dave Nolan and and uh, and Jay obviously and Rowan May as well, who, yeah. who I'm going to talk about in a second. But um, they, they were all there in the mix, Chris Murphy's of the world. So these are people who've seen the top tables many a time before. Yeah, and actually, to think back with some of those players, like I remember when Jay was just that little kid who went to the GTs and he was okay. Like, And now he's, well, we can joke about him being the best player in the world um, and the one you want to beat. And like Jasmine, who when she started coming, was playing these very strange lists and losing a lot. But now the very strange lists... And her player skill has come up, mm. and people often don't know what to do about it anymore. And like world champion to Ents today, um, and how he finished so high, I don't know. But yeah, he I think just he ended up with four four wins and a draw or something. Yeah, similar. something around that. And I mean, last game was great for him because it was uh, to the death, and so not uh, loads yeah, of battles. Battle, and he yeah. had uh, and he had Gandalf the White and a Ranger, is it in there? Yeah, yeah, and then three the three named Ents and against a Mummock as well, I think. So. Um, but it was just the opportunity for him to actually let loose and destroy some stuff. And But before that, you know, he'd come across all kinds of different opponents and done well. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, like Ali was Ali's list, this, it did make me smile when he didn't bring dwarves. And I said, he's let me down. I think that's the first time he's not brought dwarves to one of my events. So... <laughs> Um, we'll have to rectify that next year. <laughs> it showed because he wasn't in the top few tables <laughs> in the end. Um, but I mentioned touch on Rowan May. Uh, this is a, a relatively unknown um, player to to people who are veterans of the league, as it were. But um, he's come come very well under the tutelage of uh, of Jay Clare. Last time I encountered him, he was playing doubles with Jay himself. So uh, they they know each other and they're obviously yeah. helping each other, being sort of uh, uh, players, uh, sort of. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, mentor and yeah, kind of uh, the yeah. tutelage. And um, he had an unusual list as well. I, I, I played it and he, he did give me a good spanking with it. But I mean, he, he's clearly got some potential, if not, I mean, he's already there. He's got the second place this time. Yeah, and actually, he wasn't that far off. The, the, if the t- top table had gone the other way, he would have won the event. If they'd have drawn, he would have taken it. Um, but actually, he's got a good attitude as well. It's watching him play. He's visibly enjoying it the whole mm. time and he's happy and he's, I think, to see somebody doing it like that who's so new to our scene uh, but it's obviously the tutoring and the people he's around when t- the team Nottingham gets thrown around but part of the advantage we have in Nottinghamshire is when you've got a high number of good players who are willing to share you get a higher calibre of people come through that and yeah. um, I know there's other people doing it in other places but the density of players we've got I mean Rowan played Jasmine he said earlier this week um, or maybe it was last week he said they played a practice game and um you know, I think they managed to avoid each other in the end today. And you go, I kind of wish they'd played each other because yeah. I would like to see how that would go in the tournament setting with them knowing each other already as well. So It's, it's, it's interesting. And then obviously we've got some new books coming out soon. But I, it, it seems like there's, there's no... The, the, I wouldn't say there's a particular meta um, that seems to be developing for these sorts of things. But it's very clear that um, some of the top players are using lists which have an awful lot of special rules I guess a lot of heroes that so Jasmine with her sort of kaleidoscope of heroes Rowan had a, a, a yellow alliance with kaleidoscope of heroes do you think this is the time for yellow alliances well it's odd because when it first came out people went why would you ever go yellow but when it came out I thought why would I ever go green mm-hmm. because 
the, although you get lots of bonuses, you also lose out on the ability to be a Swiss Army knife. Mm. And I guess we've all become... When the league started, all the games were a 1,000 points. To make it more accessible, we've played a lot of 600 points for the last like five years. I think people have forgotten that. Actually, when it gets 800, 1,000 points, the kaleidoscope becomes the meta again. Mm. Because if they've got ring rates and you've got no answer, what are you going to do? If they've got a monster, you've got no answer, what are you going to do? You've got to... Um, plan that before the tournament you've got to go and th- like I said so many Balrogs today so many Mummocks if you got unlucky to, like round one and you had a meta beating list but you couldn't beat a Balrog that could have unstuck your entire event so and I think that also comes from the fact that there's so many new players in the mix now like I mean lots of players who've never been to uh, uh, one of your your events before and that means that those sort of more fun legions and the, the sort of it's bringing those out to the surface yeah, which I yeah. guess forces forces people to take those Swiss army knives which is fascinating isn't it yeah and on the note of new players like this was incredible this year to see so many people I didn't know mm. um, and to see how they all came just to have a good time and they were when they come to report results they were quite happy with taking a loss if the game was a lot of fun and to a fault they were all saying how great the games were and how they were their opponents were were so good and the things that they've learned they're going away with a better idea of the game so um yeah i was really pleased on that side of it as well hopefully they'll all come again next year and uh they can show me how much they've improved in the last year. Fingers crossed. Well, it's been fantastic. And, you know, we mentioned the name of the venue, Sanctuary Gaming. And last time I went to one of your events and uh, I think it would have been uh, at the, the old church, Sanctuary Gaming Centre. Yeah. And this is some kind of an, almost like a converted office block and there's tables everywhere and it. it's very warm. Yeah. It was very cold in the church. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it's it's fantastic venue now as well. Uh, even It was it was lovely before. It had a certain yeah. atmosphere to it. But, but this, is, uh, this is definitely kind of more winter friendly it's fair to say yeah funnily enough this was a job center and then it became a church and now it's where we game and um i miss the the grandeur of the church and um but come winter time you can't beat the warmth and the the atmosphere and, and actually like the the um hot drinks the donuts the brownies all the extra stuff the fact that we're right next to kfc and mcdonald's yeah we and um it's it's a completely different way to play and it's a lot more comfortable and hopefully it means we can get on with gaming and not having to think about thermals yeah which uh and as a to i've got to say sitting around waiting for stuff you, this is much better absolutely well owen it's a pleasure i can see yeah. people packing up so i'll uh, yeah. let you help out and i'll help out a little bit as well but either way it's an absolute pleasure uh thanks very much for running a great tournament yeah and thanks for coming and giving us some more uh join us next year yeah, yeah. thanks yeah. for the advertising there like. <laughs> and Sanctuary gaming center certainly nashville join us for another time absolutely we will i'll learn my pennies while i put those on <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Aaron. great to talk so the curtain comes down there on another uh, episode of the podcast and i, I mean Am I I disappointed? No, I'm not. I I think I was more disappointed at Articon. Um, I was aiming to do uh, about half and half, and I got three out of seven um, wins, which, uh, I mean... I'm not unhappy with. I mean, obviously, it'd be better to have gotten four out of seven. But um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I played really well on day one. Um, I was really happy, even with the losses. Um, Rowan, uh, who I lost against on game one... uh, Game, sorry three three um uh he ended up podiuming podiuming so fine with that absolutely fine with that um and he's got a crazy list um so it, it well deserved and um 
uh, Chris Murphy, who beat me uh, on the uh, start of uh, the second day when I was at dizzying, dizzying heights at sort of uh, table two or three or something like that, or four, I can't remember. Either way, um, it, Chris is an excellent player, and um, I'd never really encountered the Goblin Town force uh, built in the way that he'd done it, and especially, but the Goblin King was just brutal, um, and I played poorly uh, in that game, if I'm completely honest. Uh, there were a couple of errors, uh, like leaving Kamul in within throwing range of the Goblin King was uh, just a fatal error, and um, I managed to sort of mitigate um, him a little bit after a while, but by then it was far too far too late. Um, and and I so I, I wasn't too uh, too sort of upset about that loss. Chris is a great player. He's uh, proven himself at the top tables a lot. And um, I think I think I was I, I'd say I'd like to say I was I, I thought I had a good chance of winning the last game against uh, Josh, and actually the the one before that with Joe. And um, but I think maybe the scenarios played against me a little um or maybe i just didn't play the scenarios well enough either way um i i think maybe part of me just thought that um uh, that I was just tired at that point. I mean, I know I definitely was tired during the last game against Josh. And I, I, if you're listening, I really do apologise because I think I was a bit cranky. I was a bit grumpy. Uh, I was a bit tired. And um, at that point, I kind of felt like I wanted to go home, which is which is not very often a thing for me. Um, maybe maybe because I'd had such a good day one uh, and then returned after driving backwards and forwards, I didn't do any sort of drinking that night. Um, maybe that's what I, that, that was the missing ingredient. I needed a hangover. Um, but either way, uh, I, I felt like perhaps um, uh, perhaps I could have done better on day one and I disappointed myself by setting it, uh, setting it up for that. So maybe I was a little cranky by the end of the day um, having uh, that one game of the balance and um, uh, coming against Josh in Lords of Battle with his um, Army of the Dead, which... I just felt, oh man, this this is such a rough um, matchup. And Josh was such a gentleman, a lovely bloke, and um, really, really friendly, really nice. And was talking about how he watched my videos, and I couldn't. All I could think was, I'm being grumpy. I'm, I can tell, and, and I couldn't help it. But anyway, uh, I hope I hope you didn't feel like a, a um, feel like that, Josh. Uh, that I, you know, was a bit boring and rubbish with you. But either way, um, it was a really interesting tournament. Um, lots learned again about the Eastlings. I'm happy with the performance. I think I probably could squeeze it over to um, four wins and three next time. Um, but I'm still obviously aiming for the big win. We'll get there eventually, maybe. We'll see. Uh, either way, um, I think I think generally the army performed pretty well, as uh, as well as I would expect. It would have been nice to have some more tools to deal with big things like um, Thranduil in particular and um, the Goblin King actually more more so than Thranduil. But um, both of them, I just could not could not work out um, what to do against them, um, and I just felt like the army was suffering. And this is, I think, when um, when you come up against armies that have so many tools like that, um, that are you know really really strong, um, it shows the weaknesses in an army like Easterlings. Because against sort of you know standard armies, I've got tools to do things, but I just don't have an answer to something like a throwing weapon with a twelve-inch range. I just don't have the answer. I, do, I don't know what to do with it. Um, the same with Legolas. You know, I, unless I'm hiding behind terrain and then jumping out, and I, I just don't know what I do um, to face up against something like that other than just launch myself forward quickly and assume that I'll lose a horse um, or uh, maybe even a fell beast or maybe a wound on uh, a fate on Kamul or something like that so um, it's interesting there's lots to think about and there's more time to do it in Um, I've got I think one more tournament with the um, 
uh, with the Easterlings before the end of the season. Um, I was hoping to go to Scotland as well, but sadly I can't do that anymore. Um, but I have one more, one more. The um, uh, This will be the Scouring of Cheshire, where I shall be taking 700 points worth of Easterlings. And then um, I'll be playing more games with them, may, may get them out again, but I might give them a, a bit of a break uh, in the meantime. Um, also on the horizon is uh, uh, Battlestreams in Middle-Earth Meetup, um, which I don't know whether I'll record in the audio app because it feels a bit cheeky, but um, I, I th- I'll be going to Warhammer World, playing three games um, with some Ruffians and some Lothlorien, which is going to be great fun. Uh, 550 points. I've painted 64 Ruffians for it um, in preparation for 1,000 points of Ruffians, which will be the last tournament of the year pretty much in December um, at Warhammer World as well. The big Games Workshop Throne of Schools replacement event um where i'm really excited about that i'm gonna go whole hog uh, with a thousand points of ruffians painted by you uh painted sorry not by you painted for you uh, many of you have uh, contributed some ruffians to the cause and will get them delivered after that tournament so um i'm halfway or more than halfway through painting them and i've only got a month left so that's why i'm playing easterlings only i'm just playing ruffians in my spare time at the moment um so anyway that's pretty much everything and um, thanks very much to, for listening to another episode of the podcast uh and we will return and so will the easterlings until then boorah rum. 